that you can be with us today, whether you're here or whether you're uh, on our live stream. We are here because we're convinced that Jesus Christ is the best thing that's ever happened, that he's the son of God who came to reconnect us to God our Father. And so this morning we're going to lift up the name of Jesus, we're going to worship God, and my prayer is that we would draw near to him as we do so. Um, a few quick announcements. Hopefully on your way in you grabbed a bulletin. I'd also mention we have sermon handouts that help follow that. Um, but two things I want to point out. First of all, in the bulletin, or in your pews, we have connect cards, and we, we just redid them. They're nice and sharp and all that. So if you are looking for a way to connect with us, or if you're new to East Glenville, we want to try to get to know people, but we, we don't want to pressure people. I know sometimes you get nervous about, um, you know, are we going to get, you know, high-pressure sales technique. We don't do that here. But we do want to invite you to maybe join the email list or we want to pray for you. So this is a way, especially if you're visiting, to let us know you're here and to give us some information so we can start to make contact. Um, secondly, want to let you know we ha did have our congregational meeting on Tuesday. First of all, we welcomed in 11 new members. And we'll... Uh, yeah. So that was, that was good. We also uh, decided to begin supporting two new missionaries, two, two young men. Um, both of them are involved in youth ministry uh, in the local area. Arthur works down at um, Youth for Christ in Schenectady, and Aaron works for Young Life up in the Burt, Hare, Burt Hills, Boston Spa area. So we're excited to add them as missionaries. All the rest of the announcements, there's, there's other stuff going on, but make sure you read those in the bulletin. But we want to turn our focus to worshiping God this morning. Good morning. So good to be here as a church family after a week that's been really difficult um, in so many ways, so much heartbreak and so many painful things for people around the world and our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. But what better place is there for us than to be here joining together as a church family, praising God, resetting our sights on him, and praying for those who are in trouble today. So we're going to start this morning by focusing our thoughts and our hearts on the word of God. So I'd ask you to stand as we read responsively from Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you, for night shall shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. 
For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. As we begin this morning, we're going to focus our thoughts on the faithfulness of our, our God. Forever he is faithful. Forever he is strong. Let's sing it out with joy. Uh, Jess is going to lead us, and then as a congregation, we will respond with her.
Michael said, amen.
the truths of your word, those that we've sung about this morning, that your love is faithful and that it endures forever. That we are a child, Lord, who belongs to you. We are who you say that we are, forgiven and redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so, Lord, our heart's desire is that we would live in a way that you would be magnified and that we would not bow to the idols around us. So many different ways, Lord, that we can be drawn away from you. And Lord, even if we're in a hard place, help us to be faithful. Father, we can't help but think about those Christians in Afghanistan today who are facing that fire. We are heartbroken, Lord, for all that is going on in that country, in Haiti, in places where people are suffering. But Lord, we know that you are at work. We, we trust your sovereign care and your plan. Our prayer is that you would make us faithful as individuals, Lord, and also as a church in this community. Use us, Father, to spread the light of your gospel. And may you be glorified. May you be magnified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Morning. Would you guys pray with me? Father, I think about all the fear that is in the world right now, all the hopelessness of the world, as there are suffering communities all around the world. I think specifically of Afghanistan and even Saudi Arabia who we're lifting up this month. The fear that is going over those people that are without Christ, but also with Christ, the Christians that are trying to escape persecution. God, I, I lift them up to you. I can't help but think how much of a blessing it is for us to, to magnify your name today and not fear persecution. And I think of the people in Afghanistan that this might be their last Sunday worshiping you. God, I pray that you give them a boldness to stand on the truth, to stand on the light and the hope that they have in you, to not be timid in their faith for you. God, I pray that for those that, that will suffer this week, that you, you ease their pain, you give them a hope and keep their eyes focused on you. Make your light be brighter be stronger than, than any fear that they're going to face, any persecution that they're going to face. For the Christians over there that, that you are helping and aiding, I pray that you give them an escape, a route that they can get out and continue to share the good news. Father, I pray that you 
you touch the hearts of the evil people that are at work. As we are all evil inside, God, we all are looking for a savior. I pray that you touch the hearts of those that are seeking to persecute just as you, you touch the heart of Paul. God, I can't imagine what it would be like in their situation to have that overwhelming fear. But you're the one that takes away fear. God, I just pray that we, as a, as a nation and as a community and as a church, a global church, can continue to lift up this church specifically, this body of people. God, I think about our own communities. I pray that we can be a light here in our community, here in the United States, in upstate New York. I pray that people will see the same boldness, the same love, the same truth that we see of those that are, that are being persecuted daily. God, I think about our own church members. Um, I think about the dailies and, and their family in California, that they have to flee um, the wildfires. God, I pray that, you know, if it's in your will, that you spare their homes and their, their neighbors and you keep giving them a hope in you that, that passes anything that you can have in this world, any material items, that your love is greater and that through any suffering, it just brings people to seek you more closely. And for those that don't have a relationship with you, I pray that you just stir the hearts of those all around the world. All eyes are on the people that are suffering. And it's how we respond. And I pray that for those that are Christians that are suffering, that they respond in a way that is gracious, that points to you. And for those that are suffering without you, I pray that they see the hope that is only found in you. God, I think about Pastor Mitch and um, the deacons and the elder board, everybody that is a part of this body leadership-wise as we prepare for a new school year. I pray that you give them the wisdom and the boldness that they need to set a course for the upcoming year and prepare our church congregation and this, this community, this body to grow, to hunger for you. Give them the wisdom that they need to do what is best for the congregation. I think about all the servants here, even the ones helping with things like the septic tank that, that are really small and minute in the grand scheme of things. God, I just pray you give wisdom and direction in what's the best course for our church. Father, I think of Pastor Phil who has meant so much to this church, that he has been a faithful servant and I just pray that you continue to work on him you continue, continue to heal him and, and ease some of his um, pain that he is facing with some of the cancer treatments. I pray that you revitalize him, give him the strength to continue on the work that has to be done here. God, I think about each and every individual that can come to mind in, in, in my own head. Um, and I just pray for everyone here that, that we will be a light in our jobs, in our schools, in our communities, anywhere that we interact. I just pray that you bring people to us that are seeking 
answers that can only be answered by you. And people will see that hope that we have, that we display every, every Sunday publicly. I pray that it's not just a Sunday thing. I pray it is something that we proclaim and show every day of the week, every hour and every moment. And I just pray that you help us in our weakness in any times that we fail to lift you up, that there will be grace and people will see that there is grace only where they can find it in you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. At this time, the children may be dismissed to junior church. Stop.
We do thank and appreciate our worship team as they set, set our hearts as we worship and sing so that we can now engage in God's word. And this morning our text is from Jonah chapter 1. We are starting a new sermon series on, on the book of Jonah. And so I'm going to get just verse, verses 1 to 6 and then jump to 17. And we're going to talk about this book, kind of an intro to the, the book this morning. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days. And three nights. This is the word of God for his people this morning. Thanks be to God. So, Jonah is an interesting book. It is, um, I think, unique in, in its, its how-tos. And what I want to think about with our intro this morning is, is what is God up to? What's he trying to teach his people through this book. And I tried to think about what, what, um, how to convey how I think Jonah is different than other books. And, and a movie came to mind. And in fact, it's one of my favorite movies. Maybe you've seen it. Forrest Gump. In, in Forrest Gump, Forrest is a rather simple-minded man who nevertheless stumbles into historical events from the 50s up to the 80s. And he, he's not, it's not by any plan of his. He just keeps ending up being at, at key points. And, and so he, he's there at uh, when they desegregate the southern schools. He, he ends up being a Vietnam hero. He ends up being sent to China as part of Nixon's ping-pong diplomacy effort. Uh, he ends up stumbling into a war protest and a Black Panther movement. Uh, he ends up starting the running craze of the 1970s and, and runs into famous people, Elvis and John Lennon and three different presidents. And so all of this, it's not his design. It's that they just sort of, he just sort of stumbles into it. And that's what I think is happening in Jonah. That's the similarity I'm seeing. Jonah has decided to run away from God, to not do what God wants. Nevertheless, God uses him for his own purpose. He ends up being used by God, and every time Jonah keeps making the wrong decision, he stumbles into amazing success. And there's, that's the a thing that keeps happening throughout the book of Jonah. The other part is, is uh, Forrest was known for running, right? The run, Forrest, run. 
Um, Jonah is running from God, trying to run away from the presence of the Lord. So we're going to talk about this. And what I want you to do through this series is get beyond the Sunday school version of Jonah. It's a great book for young children, is it not? You know, swallowed by a whale, all, all the stuff that takes place in that book. It's, it's a fun one that you, you teach in those ages. But I think God is trying to say something to his people through it. And he's using, jo- uh, Jonah is kind of unique in how he's using it. The Bible is amazing. The more I study it, the more I see different things. God speaks in each book of the Bible in a different way. It's like the same message. He's trying to get the same thing across, but he uses different techniques. And we call those Bible techniques, different genres, types of Bible literatures. Sometimes people say, well, the Bible is just a book of rules. Well, there's rules in it, but that's not really all it is. Um, If you want to find rules, look at Leviticus. Leviticus is a book of lots of rules and laws, um, but there are other interesting parts. Um, For example, there's a lot of history. You know, you could talk about the history portion of that. If you, first and second kings, for example, tell the history of the kings of Israel. And then you have the Psalms. The Psalms are poems. They're worship poetry but they're put in the form of, of poems. And then you have wisdom books like Proverbs, which is just one-line sayings that give you wisdom for life. And then there's other wisdom books like Ecclesiastes and Job that are much more philosophical. And they talk about the meaning of life and the meaning of suffering in this world. And then God included a love story, Ruth. Now, it's not an American love story. It's not how we would tell a love story. But nevertheless, it ends up with Ruth and Boaz together. Um, And then there's even a story of spying and intrigue, Esther. Um, That's a fun, fun book to read. And so all those different styles... God uses, and and there's actually the other ones I thought of is there's almost like these nightmare visions when you get in Ezekiel and Revelations. You know, it's it's a horror genre in the Bible. So God has all these these styles of getting across his message. Where does Jonah fit in? Jonah uses a, a technique where you're expecting one thing and the opposite happens. As we go through it, you'll you'll see this. God gives a command for Jonah to go eastward to Nineveh. And and that would be landlocked. So he'd have to get on a camel and go east. Jonah instead gets on a ship and goes as far west as he can go. Um, Another one, the sailors later in the book will see, they they throw Jonah into the the sea thinking to appease God and end the storm. And they're expecting, of course, for him to drown. Well, out of the blue comes a whale to swallow Jonah, right? Like, didn't see that coming. Like, it keeps doing unexpected things. Another one, the city of Nineveh is known for its violence and evil, and yet when they hear the word of God, they repent. I mean, they repent a lot, like far beyond what you could ever expect. And so you have this expectation, and it goes the opposite direction. It's a literary technique that is called irony. Right? That's, the, that's the thing. And 
why, why is God using, and this is not to say it didn't happen. It's only to say when they told the story, when God arranged for the story to be told, he used this literary technique of irony. Why is that? And I've been thinking about that. Why, why is it told this way? Because here's what I believe. God is using irony, maybe even humor, to get behind the defenses of his people. Right? If you want to give a message to someone who doesn't necessarily think they need to hear a message, how do you do it? Humor. Irony. Right? God has something he wants to say to his people. And he's finding a way to say it. And he wants to show them something about themselves that they need to hear and maybe they're not quick to see. An example from scripture of a similar deal is when King David, who had done horrible wrong with Bathsheba, and when Nathan comes to him, he doesn't hit it head on. He tells a story about sheep, right? And it turns out it's really the story of Bathsheba. And in the end, Nathan says to David, you are that man. He got behind David's defenses so David would be willing to hear the word, the challenge of God's word. And that's what I think God is up to. So as we go through this, I want you to be thinking about what's the Lord trying to tell his people and what's he telling them about themselves, their own tendencies. So next, a little background. All right, Jonah is a prophet in Israel, the people chosen by God. Um, God would speak messages through his prophets. Um, So God would speak to the prophet. The prophet would convey the message to his people. They're seen as God's agents. They're respected. They have status. So Jonah would have a status. Um, Jonah is mentioned in one other part of the Bible, only one other short verse, and that's 2 Kings 14.25, where it says um, King Amaziah was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Leba, Hamath, to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. So Jonah had given a message from the Lord about growth and success, how their boundaries would be expanded, and so that's, that's the only other time he's seen in Scripture. Nineveh is the military capital of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. There was an older Assyrian Empire, but the, this Assyrian Empire in the 700s, down to the 600s, they were ascendant. They were gaining in territory at this time. Um, Forty years later, they would besiege Israel, and in 722 B.C., they would conquer and put an end to the northern kingdom of Israel. So this was a powerful empire that was known for its violence. It was known, um, I remember even in a college history class, nothing to do with the Bible, where the professor talked about how the, the Syrians would use terror tactics, flaying people alive. And they were the worst, in, in according to that, that professor. And so this is a, a, a scary people to deal with. Um, and you wonder why Jonah runs, right? Why does he turn away from God's command? Well, one is maybe he doesn't want God to bless the enemies of his people, right? The, the enemies who they're, they're afraid of. 
Uh, maybe it's fear. Fearing the violence of the Assyrians. Um, I mean, I think this would be the equivalent of God sending a Christian, you know, sending you right now to fly into Kabul and preach to the Taliban. That is the equivalent of what God is sending Jonah to do. It makes sense he might want to run from that, that mission. Jonah receives a clear message from the Lord um, to call out against the city. God knows what the evil that they have done. It has come up before him. And God wants to do something about it. Um, Jonah knows if, if this could be giving them a chance for repentance, and he's not sure he wants that to happen. So instead of going to, to Nineveh, he goes the opposite way to Tarshish. That's a hard city to say. Especially, kept coming up over and over again. Um, so most scholars believe that that is, is in Spain, um, it is very far west. In fact, I, I'd encourage you to go into the Hall of Missions. We have a great map, um, a big map of the world, and I was looking at that. And so uh, Nineveh, it doesn't show up on the map, but it's right, it's in northern Iraq today. Look for Mosul. Mosul would be about where Nineveh was. So that's on one side, and then find little Israel, and then look for western Spain or the western Mediterranean where Spain, that would be where Tarshish was. It's possible, the other theory is that it was another name for Carthage. Either way, it was um, the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians were a trading group of uh, people. Uh, so Jaffa is a Phoenician port and though they would have had port cities all the way through the Mediterranean. Um, so Jonah gets on that ship, and he heads to away from God. He's thinking, I want to run from the presence of God. Like, how does that even make sense? How does he think you can run from God's presence? Um, is it possible to run from God? So first of all, we know this. Is in the ancient world, the gods were in specific locations, right? You'd have a god of a city. You have a god of the mountains. Um, uh, Poseidon was the god of the sea. If you want to avoid Poseidon, don't get on a boat. You know, like, but Yahweh, the Lord God, he is the creator of everything. How could you ever run from him? He's not like the so-called gods. And, and Jonah, as a prophet, would know this. He would know Psalm uh, 139. You know, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. You know, if I sell on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will be with me. If I, if I call the darkness down, even there your light will show where I'm at. There's nowhere we can go where God does not know where we're at, where we can't be found by God, where we're not where God is. But there is a way in that we can run from God. So God is present on every part of his creation. He made creation. He made the earth and everything that's in it. And he made something that's not himself. And then he made creatures, human beings, who, who have, have will and personage. We are made in the image of God. So like God, we, we make moral decisions. We can do things. And so on earth, we can do things that are contrary to God. Um, so God is 
present, but he is not fully present on earth because we as sinful beings cannot be in the full presence of God. There's various stories in the scriptures that, that point that. If, if, if we saw God for who he is, we right now in our sinful state, it would destroy us. Did you ever see the end of um, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Right? When they, they think, oh, let's open up the Ark of God. That, that sounds like a great idea. And just I just love that part, right? Their faces melt, you know. That's, that's actually biblical. Like what would happen to us if we as sinful human beings saw God in his perfect holiness? It's not that God would want to do it to us, but we can't handle it because there is a, a distance between us and God. And ever since the first human beings made the decision to, to disobey God, to do what God told us not to do. When the first thing that Adam and Eve did, it said after they had eaten the one thing, the one fruit that God told them not to eat, it says they hid from God. They, they, they didn't want to be in God's presence. They knew they somehow didn't belong in the same presence with God. And when God came, it says the man and wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God came, and they, they were afraid to be in his presence. And what I would suggest is ever since that point, all human beings, all descendants of Adam and Eve have in some way been running from God. We are, we are keeping distance from God's presence. We were made to know and be known by God. We are made to walk with God in the cool of the day to have that kind of relationship. But we find ways to, to get away from him, to distance ourselves. And there are different ways in which we do that. One is outright um, rebellion. We reject and we rebel. We reject God's rules and ways and rebel against his authority. We say, I, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I don't care what you say. I have no need of you, God. Um, my life is my own, and I'm going to live it how I want to live it. The, the example of that in the, the scriptures is Jesus' story of the prodigal son. Right? He says to his father, I don't want to live in your house any longer. I want, I want what you will give me. Uh, I want my inheritance, and I want to go live on my own. It says he goes off to a distant land and spends his wealth on wild living. So that's one way to run from God. Maybe you know people that, that do that. Maybe you've been there um, running from God. There's another way to run from God, though. We ignore and avoid. And avoid. It's not as blatant. It's a little quieter, right? We, we, we just live our life with no thought of God. It's not that we rage against God. We just do our own thing, um, we may not consciously reject him, but neither do we seek him or acknowledge him. We figure that our life is ours to figure out, um, you know, maybe God's out there somewhere, but what does that have to do with me? Whatever happens, we're on our own. I have to make my life work. I have to climb the ladder. I have to get what I need. I have to take care of myself. Life is about us and our needs. God is just kind of... He's out there maybe somewhere. That's a second way to run from God. 
Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there now. There's a third way to, though, from run from God. This is one we don't think about as much. But it's to use religion as a substitute for God. To obey the outward rules and perform the religious duties, but in the meantime, keep our hearts far from him. Jesus spoke about the religious leaders of his day, men who knew the Bible, the scriptures, as they had received it. And he said of them, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They love the benefits of religious practice. They love the status they gained as people who were seen as pious and holy and godly. They prayed when they could be seen by others and, and be noticed. But when they were in the quiet of their own homes, didn't bother. They weren't really looking for God. They weren't really after knowing him, loving him, following him. See, it is possible to be into a lot of church stuff, to be a regular attender or a full member, to avoid doing bad things and to perform religious deeds and yet not turn your heart over to the God who made you, the God who created you. That's another way to run from God, to use religion as a substitute. What do all these three ways of running have in common? We make the decision, I will decide for myself what is good and what is evil for me. I will run my own life. It goes back to Adam and Eve, just as they, they saw the fruit was pleasing to the eye and good for food. They believed what the enemy when he told what, what the enemy told them and says, "You don't have to listen to God. He's withholding something good from you. You just choose to take it." That is the core of what sin is. We've all sinned in some way or another. We all stand guilty, and that sin has taken root in our hearts. It's, we call it our sinful nature, that tendency to, to, to live on our own, to, to put God to the side, prone to wander, all of us are. In order to save us, God had to not only provide for the forgiveness of sins, and he does that through, through Jesus. Jesus, as the Son of God, provided a way of forgiveness, but he did more than that. He came to restore us and reconcile us back to God. God's goal for us is not just adherence to a list of rules. We were designed to know and be known by God, to walk with him in life. When, when Jesus is asked, what's, what's the most important thing God wants from us? What does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's what you're made for. That's why God made us. He didn't make us as science experiments. You know, let's make a bunch of people and see if they'll kill each other, right? Like that's, that's not God's intent. His intent was to make us so that we could know him. He, he wants people, he, he, God is not just about us serving him, being his servants. He wants to turn us into friends who freely join him. God does not want slaves. He wants sons and daughters, those who not only choose to know him, but begin to become like him. 
to reflect the image of our Father in heaven. That's God's end game. One day, after the resurrection, and we'll have new bodies, and we'll be in the new kingdom, it says he will dwell in our midst, and we will dwell in a community of of people with God at the center. In order for that to work, we have to first and foremost yield our hearts to him so that he can redeem us, so that he begin to do the work inside of us and weed out the sinfulness within so that we can one day live in his perfection. The story of Jonah is not just about a runaway prophet. It's about what God does in the story. Jonah goes the opposite way from God had said, but God does not let him go. He sends a storm after him. I mean, why doesn't God just find another prophet, right? Why go all all this work? Because we have a God who pursues. God first sends a storm, and then when he's thrown overboard, God sends a large aquatic animal to to, uh, save Jonah from drowning and actually to bring him back in the direction God would have him go. God went in pursuit of his prophet. We have a God who pursues. The God who made the universe loves to run after the strays. So there's a question. Was the large aquatic animal a whale or a great fish? You know, the, the Bible says great fish, um, and that's pretty much, but 